0: Hello, my friends from Equippers around New Zealand. Shane Willard here, your friends, saying hello. And I get the chance to open the Bible today. I take that really, really seriously. And anytime I do that, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger not smaller. You, you guys are, are in a series called Unlocking Creativity. And I, I want to speak into that because so, sometimes that word uh, sort of creates anxiety uh, for us. Uh, creativity, words don't matter. W- words, how we picture words working matters. And so sometimes people hear the word creative and they immediately lock out and go, that's not me. I'm, I, I, I'm not a creative person. Like I don't belong on the creative team. And what they mean by that is, is I can't paint. I can't draw. If if you were to force me to write a poem to express feelings, I'd be pretty bad at that. Um, Can't write songs I can't play an instrument. And so what we do is we 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 lock people into certain imaginations of what creativity is. And we say, well, these people are creative and, and these people are not. And and so I've myself personally I've had to deal with the anxiety around the tension in that word because I've never seen myself as a creative person. And what I mean by that is is I can't draw. I I, I can't write songs. I I you know I I can't really write poetry or anything that would, be, would fit into that box. Yet yet other people would look at my life and go, but you write sermons in a way that are, it's pretty, it's pretty creative. And so in one sense, creativity can lock certain people out of what that word means. But what I want to do is I want to unlock that and show us that actually we're all creative because we're made in the image of a creator. And so what I want to do is unlock and recapture the beauty of the word creator or creation and our role in all of that. See see the first verb ever used to describe what God is like is that he created. This is a, a verse that be very familiar to all of us from Genesis 1. It's the first verse in the whole Bible. In the beginning God created. So so the first verb ever used about what God is like. What is God up to? In the universe. Well, the first verb that God's up to something is that He is creating. And then once again, words don't matter. How we picture those words working matters. And so you would think it would say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it was awesome, right? But that's not really what you get. What you get if you remove some of the futurist sort of bias from it is God's engaging a mess. This is what it says God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and Darkness was over the face of the deep, and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the chaotic water. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so what we find is, is that in God's creating, he engaged in this act by engaging a mess. And this is the part of unlocking creativity that I want to focus on, is our role in engaging chaos for the purpose of, of making new creation, fresh starts, second chances, and opportunities to write a better story. See, this is where some of the words that get stuck with us from our childhood can sort of hurt us with this. Is, is like I'll give you an example. I was told when I was a kid, God is too holy to be in the presence of sin. God is too holy to be in the presence of sin. And look, I'm not mad at anybody. I, I get what they were trying to say that God is set apart and He's He's unique and special and He's He's holy. I, I, I get that. But it's actually the reality of how that functions in our world. It's actually the opposite. It's it's God is too holy not to engage our sin. God is too holy not to engage our brokenness. God is too holy not to in, in, engage the chaos. The disrepair, the disorder. Not to judge it, not to condemn it, not to banish it, but to use his creative power to reorder it in order to make a better story. So part of unlocking creation and creativity is understanding that just because I can't write a song does not mean I don't bear the image of a creator, and I'm not called to be that in my world. And what does that mean? Well, it, it means that God has called me to engage chaos, not, not to judge it, not to condemn it, not to criticize it, not to banish it, but to reorder it in order to make a better story. That God has called me to engage disorder, not to judge it, criticize it, banish it, condemn it, Mm -mm. to use my energy, the anointing God gave me in the spirit of God to engage those things in order to make a better story. That's what happens in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God looks at the brokenness of the story and goes, you know what? I'm too holy not to get involved in that. Not to judge it, condemn it, or banish it. But to reorder the chaos in order to make a better story. So, so if you're listening to this and you might you have thought your whole life, well, I'm not creative. I, I don't have one. And what you meant by that was, I don't have one musical bone in my body. I, I want to set you free to, to, to see creativity this way. And, and, and if you're there and you're like, hey, I'm creative, I can write music. I also want to challenge us to look at it from another perspective as well. Not an either or, but an, to add a dimension to what creativity means. And that is this. People made in the image of their creator who are called to be that image in our world. We don't avoid chaos. We don't avoid disorder. We engage it, but not to judge it, condemn it, banish it, or criticize it. But to use our creative energies to reorder the disorder in order to make more order to reorder the chaos to make new creation, to get involved in the brokenness of the people's story, not to hurt them, not to judge them, condemn them, or banish them, but to use our creative energies to get involved in that broken story in order to make a better narrative. See, creators understand that everything belongs. We don't banish the disorder. We reorder it to make a better narrative. That's what happened in creation. I would make a case that that's the God revealed in creation. That's also the God revealed in all of scripture. And that's the God ultimately, fully, and finally revealed in Christ. A God that is willing to engage chaos, disorder, and broken stories, not to hurt it, condemn it, banish it, judge it, criticize it, but to use God's energy to reorder it in order to make a better narrative. And what you find is is that God is always willing to engage the broken story where the broken story thinks God is and then move the broken story forward to a better narrative. So let's just stop. Let's have a moment around that. If if you're watching this, I want you to take a moment and think. I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, what is my story where God obviously engaged my brokenness exactly where I needed God to meet me only to fundamentally make a better narrative out of it? And secondly, is there anywhere that I know of that God is calling me to engage other people's brokenness exactly where that brokenness is in order to make a better narrative? Which leads to this question. In the Genesis story, how does God do that? When he engages the brokenness of the story, there's a certain, I don't know, strategy that he uses in, in order to involve himself in the brokenness, the disorder, the chaos, to make new creation, fresh starts, second chances, and the opportunity to tell a better story. And, and I'm gonna dumb it down to three. Uh, the first one is he uses intentional vision. He looks at the chaos, the brokenness, and then he names the void, and then he is systematic in filling the void. God sees the solution and is intentional about executing his vision. In other words, to unlock creativity, we must be intentional in what we're seeing. We must be intentional. In other words, let's say it a few different ways. Our yes must be clear that what we are saying yes to must be incredibly clear because what we say yes to ultimately determines what we must say no to. Our yes must be the driving force of all of our no responses. If you've ever struggled with saying no, and you wonder, is this no a selfish no, or is this no um, a mature no? Here's one of the ways to, 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 to determine that. One way is to go, wait a minute, is the no I'm saying today tied to a specific yes? And as long as that no is tied to a specific yes, then it's a mature no. Otherwise, it could be a selfish no. That intentionality is incredibly important because one yes often requires a hundred no responses. That our intention determines largely whether we will win or whether we will lose. Because you don't have to intend to fail. You just have to have no intention and failure will be a part of our life. Let me give you an, an example. You don't have to intend to be broke. You just have to have no financial plan and brokenness will overtake you. You don't have to intend to be obese. You don't. You just have to have no fitness plan, and unfitness will overtake us. You, you don't have to intend to be a bad dad. You don't. And, and I would make an argument that nobody... Nobody listening to this would intend to be a bad father. I, I would think that would be, that'd be a fairly safe assumption, right? That no one wakes up today going, I want to be the worst dad possible in order to create so many issues in my children that they will one day need lots and lots and lots of therapy just to get over my behavior. I don't think anybody intends to do that. But the world has bad dads. And it's not because they intend to be a bad dad. It's because they have no intention towards behaving like a healthy, wise father would. You don't have to intend to be a bad wife. And I would think that nobody listening to this would go, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm waking up today fully intending to make my family miserable. I want to be critical, cantankerous, possessive, jealous, and frankly horrible. I want my husband to pray for a comet to come to earth to bring him sweet relief for me. I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody does that. But, but there are a lot of wives who behave in ways that do that. And it's not because they intend to. It's because if we do not have intention to be a wise, honoring, loving wife, then the bad behaviors overtake us. If we don't have intention to be a wise, honoring, loving husband, then bad husband behaviors overtake us. If we don't have intention around financial health, then financial woe behaviors overtake us. Jesus said it this way. He said, think of it like broad is the road that leads to destruction. Lots of people on that. And narrow is the way that leads to life and few people are on that. In an ancient rabbinical tradition, that was a teaching on intention. Uh, essentially, he says, if you're just meandering through life with no intention at all, well, failure and destruction and darkness just sort of overtake you whether you intended it or not. But when you wake up every day with an intentional vision to engage broken stories, to engage chaos, to engage injustice, not to hurt it, not to judge it, not to condemn it, not to criticize it, but to use our creativity in order to make a better narrative out of that because those yeses matter. Which leads me to a couple of questions I want us to wrestle with. One, are we clear in what we want our life to look like? Are we clear in what we want our organization to look like? Are are we clear on what we want our ministry to look like? Maybe you're leading a team and, and you're, you're pulling your hair out because you're like, they just don't get it. Well, hang on, before we go to them, do you get it? Is your yes clear to you? As the great Howard Hendricks once said, he said, if it's a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the, in the pews. In other words, if our yes is sort of foggy to us, it's gonna be 10 times more foggy to the people we're trying to communicate it to. What's your vision for your family, sir? What's your vision for your family, ma'am? What's your vision for for, for your business, for your neighboring, for your ministry? Are we clear in what our yes must be? Because if we're not clear on what our yes must be, we'll have no idea what we must say no to in order to accomplish that yes. Second question, is there an alignment between what we say our yes is and the questions we're asking around it? Is there alignment between the statements we're making and the questions we're asking. Here's what the science study says on this. When there's an alignment between the questions we ask and the stories we tell, trust goes up, anxiety goes down, and confidence increases. Trust goes up, anxiety goes down, confidence increases. But when there's a misalignment between the questions we ask and the stories we tell, then trust goes down, anxiety goes up, and confidence decreases, which leads me to this question. In your ministry, in your organization, in your business, in your family, in your home, in your neighboring, whatever the context is, do we want trust to go up, anxiety to go down, and confidence to increase? And if the answer is, of course. Well, one of the ways we could do that is we can make sure that the questions we ask and the statements we make are telling the same story. Let me give you an example. So let's say you have a third grade child. And let's say that third grade child, roughly nine or 10 years old, is one of these I don't know, like A-type personalities, you know, that, that just would stress to get a B. They don't know how to get a B. And so you look in, and there's a big exam the next day. And so you could tell the young man is stressed or the young girl is stressed. And so, and so you could tell. And so you're a good mom or you're a good dad, and you go in and comfort them. And you say, hey, hey buddy, listen, I, don't stress. All I want you to do is do your best. Well, that's a statement. And that logs in what's important. My best is important. Now, the next day, you pick him up from school. He gets in the car. This is where the rubber's gonna meet the road. It's the question you ask. If you say, how did the exam go? Did you do your best? Well, then the question you asked and the statement you made tell the same story. Trust goes up, anxiety goes down, confidence increases. But if he gets in the car and you say, how'd the exam go? What grade did you make? Then the question you asked and the statement you made are telling two different stories. Trust goes down, anxiety goes up. Confidence decreases. That one of the ways we can unlock creativity in our world is being intentional about our yes, seeing the chaos and engaging it in order to make a better story. And one of the ways we could do that is making sure that, that, that our yes is clear and that there's an alignment between the questions we ask and the stories we tell. One is intentional vision. The second one is intentional words. What we find in Genesis one is when God engages in creating, he's intentional about his vision. He's also intentional about his words. He's very careful. He's actually incredibly stringent on not allowing vocabulary into the situation that does not accomplish what the intentional yes is. Which leads me to a few questions. Is there alignment between our vision and the words we're allowing to be spoken? The issue is almost never right or wrong. When we say something, we always think we're right. Like no one has, no one says, you know what, I know I'm wrong about this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Well, if you do that, that's sort of, you're sort of a sociopath. We always think we're right when we say it. The rationalization of right or wrong is a very poor rationalization. The more important question is, is this wise? Is this useful? Do these words accomplish my clear yes? What we find in Genesis 1 is that God's yes was incredibly clear. And then there was a discipline around the words he allowed to be spoken into the situation about whether it accomplished what his vision was. It participated with his clear yes. Not is it right or wrong. There's a lot of things we can say that aren't wrong, but they're not wise. They don't accomplish our yes. They actually form distractions. There's a lot of problem. What we need to do is we're gonna unlock creativity in our world. So we gotta be intentional about our yes. And then we have to be disciplined about the words we allow to be spoken into the situation to make sure that those words, not just right or wrong, but wise, useful, and accomplishing what we are trying to accomplish. Which leads me to this question. In the last 30 days, what has dominated our confessions? Is there anything that's dominated our confessions in the last 30 days that don't accomplish our clear yes? See, I don't think the enemy to the church is overt sin. I don't think it's government. I don't think it's any of those things. I I think, particularly for New Zealand, the enemy of the church is being distracted off of the main point. The main point is to connect people to Christ, teaching them to see the world how he saw the world, to see God how he saw God, and to apply scripture how Jesus applied scripture, and then to motivate us to do good in our communities so that the world is a better place because we are in it. And all these other things that can be distractive, and we can get into quarrels, we can can use our words to do things that do not accomplish that clear yes, and it hinders our creativity. See, creativity is enhanced when there's intentional vision, a clear yes, and then there's intentional words, only allowing the words that accomplish the vision to be released into the situation. The third thing we see is number one, we see intentional vision. Number two, intentional words. The third thing we see is intentional rest. What we find is that when God was engaging the chaotic story of creation, and you see this all through scripture and you see this in Christ, there was a six in one rhythm built into creating. There was six days of engagement and then one day to recreate yourself. The word would be recreation. There's six days of engagement and one day of recreation for yourself, or intentional rest. Because here's the problem: too much engagement leads to white noise and confusion, and equally, too little engagement leads to boredom and depression. Think of it like a song. Um, what you find, and I, I'm not a musician at all. I've uh, I've established that, and uh, I do know when music sounds good and when it doesn't. And uh, if if I'm technically not exactly right about this, I, I, I just want you to look past that and, get, and see the point. That, that music is made up of a few things. Notes, and and I think the musical term for this is rests. There's quarter notes and quarter rests. You also have key signatures and rhythm, and you have the key the song is played in. And so, but the key the song is played in determines the notes, and then the rhythm determines the rests. Now, Can you imagine a song with too much engagement? So a song with too many notes. Now, you, you see this uh, occasionally, like when one song is finishing, particularly a fast song. So when one song is finishing and it's going to the next song, one of the ways bands transition that is something that my understanding is called a crash bang. And essentially that's everybody playing the right notes, everybody playing the right key, It's just all on. So the drummer's hitting everything. The keyboard player's hitting it all. The guitar player's hitting it all. And so everything is on at once with no rest. It's called a crash bang. It's pretty cool for five seconds or 10 seconds. Can you imagine a crash bang that went on for 90 seconds? Be hard to listen to. Equally, a song that takes too long to get where it's going because there's too much rest in it. It's boring. It's uh, almost depressing. What we want is to see our life as a song. And it's incredibly important to play your life in the correct key, no question. But it's also equally important to play your life in the right rhythm. The right amount of when to engage and when to rest. Like, it doesn't matter if you have the best guitar players in in the world in your band, or the best keyboard player, or the, the, the best singers. If the drummer's terrible, it butchers the song. We've all seen that at some point where the drummer's a 16th of a beat off and there's this awkward sort of, oh my, right? And even the best musicians in the world, you just have to start the song over. Why? Because if the rhythm section is out, it butchers the song. So what happens is, is sometimes we get depressed or feel low or feel um, bored, right? Because there's not enough engagement in my life. I'm not engaging the chaos as a creator enough. Sometimes... We engage too much and we don't intentionally take that one day in six and recreate ourselves. There was this one time with Jesus. I think it was Mark 5. It's one of my favorite scriptures where Jesus cast out demons all night. And then, of course, there's a big crowd coming the next morning and Jesus knows it. So he, he sneaks off and goes to a solitary place. And Peter finds him. He knows where his spot is. And he says, Jesus, what are you doing, man? Don't you know everybody's looking for you? And Jesus says, Really? everybody's looking for me, then let's go somewhere else. Why? Because the God revealed in creation, the God revealed in scripture, and the God revealed in Christ knew when to be on and when to step back and be off. And I think that unlocks creativity as well. It's not just intentional vision, an intentional yes that determines what our no responses are. It's not just intentional words. It's also making sure that our engagement and disengagement has a certain intentional rhythm and rest to it. Because if our life gets out of rhythm, it butchers the song. So sometimes what happens is, is we start losing a bit of momentum and our first question is, is, what am I doing wrong? And fair enough, we should ask that question. But sometimes we'll find we're not doing anything wrong. It's just our life is a bit out of rhythm. So good sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with for application. So I'm going to ask a few questions here and Just ask that you wrestle with this for application. One, are the people in our world frustrated by the gap between stated values and questions? Is your team frustrated between the gap between stated values and questions? Is your family frustrated between what you say is important and the questions you ask? Because if we can fix that, then trust can go up, anxiety can go down, and confidence increases, and we can engage broken stories with the goal of making a better narrative a whole lot more effectively. Two, how can we help them decrease their anxiety? Well, we can make sure that there's alignment between the questions we're asking and the statements we're making. Number three, in, in our world, our organization, our family, our ministry, whatever the case may be, have we been clear about what our yes is? Do they get it? Do they get what our intentional yes actually is? Are you clear about what your yes is? Are we too compromising with our words and confessions Not about right or wrong, but does it accomplish what we're trying to do? Do our words create order or disorder? Not whether we think we're right or wrong, but whether it's wise and useful and accomplishes what it's supposed to do. The last question I'd like for us to wrestle with is, is my song out of rhythm? Am I playing my life in the right key, but my rhythm section is off and it's butchering the song? So my brothers and sisters I hope Jesus got bigger. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central. Scripture's got bigger, not smaller. I want to be a part of the story to help us unlock creativity. How do we do that? Well, we look at the creator and we look at what he did. The creator engages disorder, not to hurt it, but to reorder it. He engages chaos, not to judge it, condemn it, criticize it, but to reorder it into new creation that's exactly what we're called to do. We are called to engage broken stories exactly where the broken story is and then move it to a better version of itself. And we do that with the right heart to engage it, not to hurt it, criticize it, be better than it, but to reorder it to make a better narrative with intentional words, intentional vision, and ultimately intentional rest and rhythm. May we use these principles to unlock creativity today. Grace and peace, everybody.